If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 1. We started a study last week in the book of Philippians. And what we are doing is we are going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Now, this is an amazing study because what you are going to get is a lot of context and setting, a lot of cross-references, a lot of seeing the Bible as a whole picture. You see, many of us, we have the puzzle pieces of the Bible, but we haven't quite yet put the picture together. It's good to have all the pieces, but the pieces really don't show you anything until you put the pieces together. For us, we want to take Scripture and we want to put the pieces together so that we have a full view of God and his word and who he is. Now, last week we saw that there were three people specifically in the book of Acts, chapter 16, who Paul led to Jesus Christ. There was Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. Three people who have now radical testimonies of Christ's conversion in their life because of what Paul did. Can I challenge you in a way that hurts me? It hurts me because it challenges me. Are there people out there who have a testimony of Jesus Christ's saving power because of somehow God used you? Are they out there? Maybe you're a new believer like Jordan and you're just getting started in this whole thing. You want to, but you're not really quite sure yet. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while and you're not sure who you're impacting. You've got to get out of your comfort zone and, and love people and be the change in their life so they can see Jesus Christ. It convicts me every time. Now we're gonna go back to those three people tonight and we're gonna go back to those a lot through this study. But I want you to write this down. If I could give you my big idea and my title, here it is for the sermon. What Christ Begins... Christ will finish. You can write that down at the top of your notes. What Christ begins, Christ will finish. An amazing, amazing statement. Many of us, we got a bad habit. I know because I'm one of the us that has a bad habit. We got a bad habit, especially in college. You know what we do? Let's just be real. Let's just be honest tonight. Tonight's going to be raw. Uh, we start things we don't intend to finish. I know I do. Oof. I start workout plans. I start diets. And then the moment I drive by a Huey's, it's over with. I'm running right inside for that Huey's mac and cheeseburger, which is coming back on the menu soon, by the way. We start Netflix shows. And we watch four episodes and then we quit and we just give up and we get kind of bored with it and we just move on. <laughs> we start these things that we don't intend to finish. We start some things that are lighthearted. Other things, we commit to plans that we know we are not going to follow through with. Do not tell me that you don't. <laughs> you know in the last six months there has been some event that you told someone, oh yeah, I'll go. But in your heart to heart, you knew you were not going to make it there. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't church. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there this Sunday and it never shows up. <laughs> We start things that we don't intend to finish. And for a lot of us, the people in our lives who hurt us are ones who commit to hanging out with you but then back out last minute every single time. I know stuff comes up. I know that life gets busy and we got jobs and we're, we're all going 1,000 miles an hour. But the person who irks our nerves the most is usually the one who makes the plans and then doesn't finish the plans. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you out there are like nudging the person next to you like, this is, yeah, that's you. <laughs> like you made plans with me and you don't do anything about it. And then for a lot of us, there's times when this cuts a lot deeper than just bailing on plans. You see many of you out there, you come from a single parent home 
where your mom or your dad isn't in the picture. And you don't understand why. Why did you have to be born into a house of a broken marriage, of a single parent home where you never got to know your father or your mother? For many of you, you've had friends really betray you. Like not just say, I'll come watch a show with you and never show up, but you've had friends who you supposedly trust, but they went behind your back and said some comments about you and you still bitter about it to this day. It's been years and you still carrying around that pain. Why? Because it hurts when someone says they'll be your friend, but they don't follow through with what friends are supposed to do. And what we do as college students, often subconsciously, please don't miss this. This is so important. Oftentimes what we do is we project the failures of man onto Jesus. Because our father isn't in the picture, we we project the pain and the abandonment that we feel about our earthly dad onto our heavenly dad, onto our father. We think that because there have been people who have gossiped behind our back, that Jesus will do the same, that he will go behind our back, that he will gossip, that he will not, here's a big one, he will not have our best interests at heart. You know why so many people struggle trusting God? I'll tell you why. It's because oftentimes they've been burned by other people that they think God must be like other people. Can I tell you something tonight? (laughs) Where man fails you, Jesus Christ will not. (laughs) Where the world will be faithless, Jesus will be faithful. You cannot project the sinful mistakes of man onto a sinless Messiah like Jesus. You can't do it. So stop. (laughs) Just because somebody hurts you does not mean Jesus will. No, Jesus is perfect. And what he has started in you, the work that he has started in you tonight, we will see that he will complete it. He will finish it. He cannot start things that he does not intend to finish. Jesus Christ will bring to light the work he started in the dark (laughs) in all of us. Philippians 1 verse tonight, chapter 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, look at this, Paul starts off the verse by saying, I am sure. (laughs) Like, listen, I don't have any doubts about this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, right now, our hearts are hurting. Right now, across the world, there are college students joined with us tonight who have bitterness in their heart, who have distrust in their heart, who have laziness in their heart, who the moment it gets hard, they just break down like many of us do. There's college students watching tonight who feel drained, who feel burnt out, Father, many of us feel disconnected from you. We don't feel close to you. Heavenly Father, right now, I ask that you would heal our nation. And God, I ask that you would speak through this dream tonight. May you have every word. God, I do ask, please move 
in the hearts of people who are with us tonight, of college students who are watching, encourage and convict. Father, save someone tonight. We believe you can save someone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Number one, sanctification. You are a work in progress. First thing I want you to write down is number one, sanctification, dash, dash, or just one dash, either one, whatever you want to do. I like doing the double dash because it makes a longer line that looks neater. Uh, but you can do one dash if you want to. That's fine. However you want to do it. Sanctification, dash, you are a work in progress. Me? Yes. You? You say, no, not me. I'm good. No, you and I are a work in process. Now, sanctification is a churchy word. Let's call it what it is. Sanctification is a churchy Southern Baptist word. It's a word when I was 21 and lost or a new believer. Uh, I heard people say this word, and that's when I left the room because I didn't want to get quizzed on this. I didn't want to get called out and say, uh, tell me what sanctification means. And I'm like, uh, is that when you take a bath? And like, uh, kind of, honestly, but no, it's a churchy word. But I want to challenge you. Go deeper in your understanding of the Bible. This is a term, this is a theological concept that I want us to understand tonight. I want us to see in new light and with fresh eyes what it means to be sanctified, especially in light of what's going on. I want us to understand this because when Paul says that Jesus is going to finish a work, he's talking to the church of Philippi, which means he's talking to the people in Philippi, which means he's talking about the work in them, the work in them that Christ is bringing to completion is the idea of sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? The Greek word for sanctification is hagiosmos. I looked that up on how to pronounce hard words. Hagiosmos means holiness, means to sanctify, therefore means to make holy. You say, what does holiness mean? Something like that didn't help at all. Holiness, in other words, Jesus Christ is fully holy. He is holiness. He has no sin in him. He was sinless. He has none of the lying, the deceit, the lust, uh, the, the, the greed, none of it. None of it was in his nature. None of it is in his nature. He's perfect. So he is holy, which means the sanctification process means you and I are transitioning. We are transforming. We are being made new. We are, in a sense, becoming more like Jesus Christ. To be sanctified ultimately means God is making you more like Jesus. So you ask the question, what am I supposed to do with my life as a Christian? Well, number one, are you becoming more like Christ? Do your words sound more like Christ? Do your thoughts sound more like Christ? Do your actions show more like Christ? And honestly, do people look at you and say, huh, I can see a change in your life. Like I can see it. That's how I knew it was real for me when I got saved. When other people, when my basketball players that I was coaching at Bartlett, when they would come to me and say, coach, why are you not cussing anymore? That's when I realized a change was happening. Is that happening for you? You know, you listen to the beautiful testimony of Jordan Lee, who just got saved back in February. Jordan Lee is becoming more like Jesus, but she's a work in progress. But what you see about her is that over the last few months, is she perfect? No. But is she growing in sanctification? Is she slowly becoming more like Jesus? Yes. She is growing. You see fruit from that. I love this quote about sanctification. It's not going to be on the screen. You can try to write it down. But sanctification is a journey. It's not a destination. 
Sanctification is a journey. It's not a destination. The key is the direction you're heading. <laughs> you know, what are you transforming to be more like? You see, sometimes we're looking more like Drake, being honest. <laughs> you know, some of, like for me, I'm looking more like Kobe Bryant. <laughs> I'm looking more like my favorite actor or my favorite actress or uh, all these different things. But in reality, we're called to be transforming to look more like Jesus. So what direction are you heading? Now, let me pause for a moment. And this isn't in my notes. I need to say this. Sanctification is not a competition. Do <laughs> you hear what I said? Like sanctification is not about you becoming more sanctified than the person running the race next to you. <laughs> That's what the devil wants you to think so that you become prideful. And when you do that, you go, <laughs> and you go the opposite direction of becoming like Jesus. It's not a competition. It's not a comparison game. But some of us, we spend 10,000 hours, no pun intended, 10,000 hours comparing ourselves to other people on social media and finding ways that we don't match up or finding ways we do match up and surpass them. It ain't no competition. Some of us act like this is a sport. And we're just trying to beat everybody out. It's all, I can't get off here, but it's all about me, 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 and me getting my sanctification, me getting recognition, me getting uh, approval and praise. But no, it's about becoming more like Jesus. And if you are becoming more like Jesus, you're probably going less and less and less away from it being all about you. Because everything in Jesus' life was about the Father, the Spirit, and people. So he, that's what he did while he was on this earth. He served, he died for us. He took our punishment. Now, many of us love sports. I love sports. I love playing NBA 2K. I tried to compete in a tournament last week. I lagged out, which is awful. That's just rough. I practiced for it. My wife was watching. I was doing a great job. My wife was like, oh, Daniel, you're actually pretty good at this game. I was like, yeah, baby, I am. And then I lag out. My internet gives way. Halfway through the game, I'm up 19 to three. I lag out. I love, I do, I love sports, I love basketball, that's my thing. Many of us who come to The View love sports. I want you to understand something. There's a lot of parallels here with sports. It's very fascinating when you think about this. The first time you try a sport, like I did when I tried basketball, you was probably trash. <laughs> like, be honest, I was. Like, the first time I picked up a basketball, man, I was uncoordinated, I was awkward, still am. I was uncoordinated, I was awkward, I didn't know what to do. I shot a two-handed shot, which is bad. If you shooting like that, that's really, really bad. You know, get that elbow in one hand here. Uh, you know, we, we are trash when we start. Many athletes quit on sports because they don't figure it out all overnight. Many Christians quit on their faith because they don't figure it all out overnight. <laughs> you see... You see, we think, we think as soon as I pick up a basketball, oh, I'm Kobe Bryant. Uh-uh. And you think the moment you pick up the Bible, you just instantly become all the answers, all the solutions? No, it's a process. It's a process. And I know some of you out there are on the verge of giving up. Can I tell you that's the worst decision you can make? In sports, it's the worst decision you can make. But in your sanctification process, it's the worst decision you can make. Jesus began a work in you. If you repented of your sins and got saved, he began a work in you. He will finish that work in you. He will bring it to completion. That's amazing. In sports, something happens to us when we're kids that transforms our game. All of us know this that played sports. Our game transforms when we get a good coach. That's what happens. 
For me, when I started actually getting good at basketball, it's because I had someone come along who had a view that I didn't and abilities that I didn't and skills that I didn't, and he began training me and teaching me and growing me in the sport, and I became more and more acquainted with what it means to become a basketball player. He worked with me for hours, and because he worked with me for hours, my game began to look like his, even to the tiniest detail, the way he jabbed, the way he shot, everything. When he trained me and I obeyed, my game looked like his. Listen, sanctification means Jesus is training you through trials and valleys and mountains and every hardship that you go through. And when you obey, your game starts to look like his. (laughs) And his game is a selfless one. He is literally passing the ball like, oh, some glory, I'll give it to the Father. Oh, some glory, I'll give it to the Spirit. (laughs) He plays a selfless game. You'll start looking more like him if you'll obey and accept the training and and if you'll count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, when you obey Jesus in the hard times, you will begin to look like your trainer. But Jesus is not just a good coach. (laughs) He has to be your Lord. And let me clarify, I don't want you walking away thinking, ah, Jesus is calling me to do some sprints out in the parking lot. (laughs) He's the Lord of your life, which means a coach, he has your attention at practice. But Jesus as your Lord has your attention at all times. (laughs) So is he just a coach or is he your Lord? As great as human coaches are, and I love mine to death, the one who invested in me, I love him to death. As great as they are, isn't it crazy how, fall, how short they still fall in comparing them to God? I was talking about this with, with Jasmine in my office today. Isn't it amazing? When you think about a human coach, a human coach can't see the whole field at once. His eyes only see a part of it. I know that because I've been a coach. A human coach can't communicate individually with every player at once. He can talk to the team as a whole or individual conversations, but he can't talk to them all individually at the same time. A human coach can't foresee the future. He can anticipate what's coming next, but you don't really know what's coming next. But God... The Lord sees the whole field at once at all times. The Lord, think about the greatness. The Lord can talk to all of us individually and directly at the exact same time. (laughs) Do you realize that God literally is speaking to me while I preach at the same time while he's speaking to you while you listen? A coach can't do that, but God can. That's amazing. That is absolutely unreal. The Lord literally is (laughs) all-knowing. He knows the next play. Why would you not listen to him? (laughs) We listen to our human coaches because we think they might be able to anticipate the next play. We literally have a Lord and Savior who knows the next play and we still don't listen to do what he tells us to do. (sighs) Getting frustrated at myself because I do this all the time. He is all knowing. He's got the full playbook. He's not just on the sidelines. He's with you in the game and he is literally having a bird's eye view to see everything that's happening. When will you listen to him and start sanctifying yourself and becoming more like Jesus? When will it happen? Now I wanna put a chart on the screen and look at this chart. This is a clear example to break down sanctification. On the bottom, you have where we are slaves to sin. 
We are not Christians. This is where I was at 21 years old. When I was at that park, I've told the story. When I was at that park, laying face down, I was a slave to sin. I had no other option. I had no other option than to cuss, than to, than to pursue worldly things. I was lost. And then right there at conversion, what Jordan Lee talked about in February, that's my moment at the park. That's your moment where you repent of your sins. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have an encounter with Jesus that changes you. That's a conversion right there, boom. And then look at what happens to your life. This is what we're on as Christians. You see, some of you haven't had that conversion moment. Some of you, that's what you need to do tonight. You need to repent, give up your sins. It's such a better life. I got a thousand college students that will testify to that. Look at the Christian life. You start growing in holiness. You go on this, you go on this trek upward. You're becoming like Jesus. Look at the line though. See how there's breaks in the line? That's to show you that there's trials. That's to show you that you're still gonna stumble. You still wear a sinful flesh. But ultimately when you die, you will be perfected in holiness. That's amazing. Where are you? Can't ask it any clearer. See, some of us, man, and this is getting real raw. Some of us, we had that conversion moment. We started going up and then we took a deep dive and we started chasing the other things in the world. We started running from Jesus. I've been there. I get it. But sanctification as a whole, and this is huge. I'm gonna put this on the screen. I need you to take a picture of it, write it down. You need this somehow, take this. Sanctification is bigger than just in the present. There's the past, the present, and the future when you really start talking about sanctification. Look at the first box. There is initial sanctification. In other words, you are justified for your sins. You see, the moment that you repent and give your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, he, doesn't see, he does not see your sin. He sees the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You have been justified. Jesus has paid your debt. He has taken on your penalty. He has literally replaced you on the cross when you trust him. That's the moment that you are sanctified. In other words, you can say, I am sanctified. I am justified. I have been forgiven for my sins. I have been, look at Romans 6, set, it sets a believer apart from sin's penalty. I love that. All these start with P, I love that. It sets you apart from sin's penalty, which means you and I don't have to go to hell. Which means when you trust Jesus, you get to go to heaven. But that's initial sanctification. Where a lot of us are today is the present, which is progressive sanctification. The line I just showed you means you are currently being sanctified. And what it does is look at the bottom, look at the bottom box in the middle. <laughs> that's so cool. If initial sanctification sets you apart from sin's penalty, progressive sanctification sets you apart from sin's power. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Some of you have never understood it this way. You're like, man, I thought it was a lot harder than this. Like, no, look, when you repent, sin's penalty is set aside. Now, every day that you read and pray, sin's power is set aside. See, you have been freed from the, the, the penalty of sin, but you're still wondering why sin has power over you. It's because you're refusing to be sanctified. If you are sanctified, that means you just have to be who you are in Jesus Christ. Live the way Jesus is calling you. And then there's the future. Complete sanctification. In other words, glorification. When you go to heaven, you will say in the middle box, I will be sanctified. 
And look at the last box. I get so excited about this. Oh my goodness gracious, because I can't wait for this day. Because <laughs> sin is a burden I'm tired of. Sets a believer apart from sin's presence. Romans 8, 29 and 30, from sin's presence. <laughs> So when you go to heaven, there's no more presence of sin, but right now you're battling the power of sin, but you have been freed from the penalty of sin. Oh my goodness gracious, I could talk about this for an hour. <laughs> That's amazing. So if you feel like the power of sin is still on you, know that you have been freed from the penalty of sin if you're a believer, but you've got to pursue Jesus in order to escape the power of sin. The power of sin is let go when the pursuit of Christ is there. Oh my gosh, wow. Whew. That's incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. Because of Jesus, you don't have to die for your sin, but he does empower you to die to your sin. <laughs> Man, if I had a confetti cannon right now, I'd fire this thing off right now. <laughs> you have died to your sin. And you don't have to die for your sin. Aren't you grateful? I mean, if you got a house of people, give a round of applause for what Jesus has done for you when you didn't have to. Come on now, y'all. Amen. Listen, we all at home, but the, gl the glory of Christ is on full display. I got to move on. Goodness gracious. Wow. You have to begin to adopt the mindset that you are dead to sin because if you are a believer, that's what you are. Romans 6, 11 to 12, Paul says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal, in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. In other words, you're a free man or a woman, so live like a free man or a woman. <laughs> like, if you have Jesus, the handcuffs are off. Why do you act like they're on? That's what Paul's saying. You're walking around like this, there ain't no handcuffs there. You're just acting like they are. You can do this, you can stretch, you can flex your freedom in Christ. I'm not even talking to the microphone, I'm getting so fired up. <laughs> but I have to transition this. I have to encourage you, stop suppressing the Holy Spirit. I have to talk about this. I the work Christ is completing in us is from the Holy Spirit. And many times as believers, what we do is we suppress the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit every day is impressing on your heart what is right and what is wrong. He will never impress something on your heart that is contradictory to his word. But he will impress things on your heart that come from the word. He's impressing on you to serve, to get out in your community. He's impressing on you to love, to share Jesus, to make disciples, to walk with people. As Rebecca Smith is walking with Jordan Lee, he's, he's pushing you to do that every day. And oftentimes what we do is we don't listen. In college, I was not a great roommate. I will not say I was a bad roommate, but I was not a great roommate. My roommate was Zach Paulin. I love that guy to death. I've talked about him before. I also live with Corey O'Hara. I wasn't great, but I wasn't awful. Like I used Zach's toothpaste a lot without telling him. And I still haven't told him to this day. I use a lot of your toothpaste, bro, because I wouldn't go buy any at Kroger. We literally lived in a Kroger parking lot, and I wouldn't go buy any. Just lazy. That's all that is. Uh, I use his toothpaste. Uh, sometimes I knocked his stuff down, broke it, then put it back like I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't great. Uh, but I wasn't bad. You know, I didn't, you know, I could go off on a tangent there. But when I would wake up in the morning, this is how I'm wired. I still do this now. It drives my wife uh, crazy. Uh, what I do is I set 12 alarms on my iPhone. <laughs> I don't know how you wake up, 
But for me, I need like 12 alarms to get up out the bed. Like it takes me a minute. Like it's not just 7 a.m. alarm flashes. I'm like, oh, it's a beautiful day. And I know like it takes me a while. You know? It takes me a while. My alarms look like 645, 647, 649, 652, 654, 657. When 657 hits, I'm in trouble. 659, 701. Like that's what my alarms look like. And it, dry, it drove my roommates crazy. It drives my wife crazy because they go off. And every single time they go off, here's what happens. Every single time my alarm goes off, I do what you do snooze <laughs> to the very last alarm, snooze. Maybe you don't do it. Maybe you're wired perfectly. I'm you're farther in sanctification than I am, but I hit snooze, <laughs> snooze. And I keep quieting the alarm over and over. I have gotten so used to hearing the sound of an alarm and not acting on it that I've been late to places and missed countless opportunities. <laughs> You know, when you get used to hearing sounds and not acting on them, you miss opportunities. For a lot of us as Christians, we get used, watch this, we get used to hearing the Holy Spirit tell us what to do and we hit snooze. Go share the gospel with this person, snooze. Go out and serve this weekend snooze. And what happens is we quiet and quiet and quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And the more you hear the sound of the Holy Spirit and don't act on it, the more gospel opportunities you miss. <laughs> you know, like if I hit ignore 11 times on my iPhone alarm, there's no wonder why I missed the 12th one. And for a lot of us as Christians, if we ignore the Holy Spirit 11 times throughout the day, no wonder we are not ready to act when the 12th one comes. Because we've been hitting snooze. And suppressing becomes a habit. We adopt a habit of suppressing the Holy Spirit. Now when I hear an iPhone alarm, I don't think act, I think snooze. <laughs> My wife and Rebecca just laughed out loud. <laughs> LOL. We need a habit of action, amen? <laughs> you and I are a work in progress. And you know, for many of us with the conversations that are happening right now, a lot of us sense the Holy Spirit calling us to have uncomfortable conversations, but we're not doing it. You are suppressing the Holy Spirit and you are, you are hurting your sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus. See, right now in our nation, the Holy Spirit's very clearly telling us, hey, have conversations about race. Have conversations about hurt, about pain, about differences of opinions in you. And the more we suppress it, the more we miss out on gospel opportunities, Christians. I can't be more raw with you. Stop suppressing the Holy Spirit. Mm. We have to pray. Prayer can't just mean something to you. It's got to mean everything to you. The Bible can't just mean something to you. It has to mean everything to you. You are a work in progress. The greatest part is that Christ is carrying this on to completion. Point number two, sanctification dash. Christ will finish his work in you. Now, remember the three people we talked about. I told you we were going back to those. We had Lydia, 
We had the slave girl and we had the jailer. Lydia, the businesswoman who had religion, but no relationship with Christ. The slave girl who had no authority over her life or her body was being manipulated by men for profit. And then the jailer whose identity was so wrapped up in his career that when his career went downhill and they were about to escape, he was suicidal. He turned the sword on himself. Remember those three people. I hope you do because Paul does. Imagine what this verse means to those people. Imagine what this verse would have meant to them after Paul shared the gospel with them and years later, he's encouraging them. I imagine to Lydia, Paul telling her, I am sure Jesus who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. Imagine what that means to Lydia. See, Lydia is like a lot of us, I think. I think Lydia is like a lot of us in the sense that she had religion, she had the works, she was seeking God, she had denounced paganism, she had all the works that we believe in, but she didn't know Jesus. And then all the good works in the world that she had, she realized were filthy rags in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, many of us are Christians and we're still trying to justify ourselves with filthy rags. You say, Daniel, I don't do that. No, not me, no. I understand grace, I understand faith, okay. But you know as well as I do, when the curtains close and nobody's around and you're looking in the mirror, it's so tempting to buy the lie that your hands are justifying you and not the hands of the one who has holes in them. That's not in my notes. That's for me tonight. I need to hear that. We look in the mirror, we try to justify our works. But when Lydia met Jesus, her heart was changed forever, like we talked about last week. And so many of you have had the same experience in Christ. You've had the same experience I have. You have been changed forever. But why do you think Paul is saying this to Philippi, right? Think about it. They were doing great. They were maturing. They were sanctifying. They were growing. Lydia was probably doing great. Why is he saying this to her? Because as as great as she probably was and as strong as she probably was, she was still a human being. She still had flesh. She still struggled. She still had issues. We don't know what those are, but she was still a human being and she had breath in her lungs and she had struggles of the flesh. (laughs) She struggled. And I bet there were times like for all of us where Lydia wanted to go back to justifying herself with her works. And Paul is saying, no, no, Lydia, you don't have to. You have been justified. You have been sanctified. You don't have to put your faith in your works. Put your faith in Jesus and the works will come from your faith. You don't have to go back to that lonely place where you're constantly worrying at the end of the day, am I good enough for God? Lydia, you don't have to go back there. I know I'm talking to somebody tonight. Paul would say the same thing to you. You don't have to go back there. You can keep trusting that Jesus has justified and sanctified you and that it's because of him that you're good enough. Not anything these hands of ours could produce. And that's where religion becomes a hindrance. When we get in that mindset the devil wants us in, that we're justifying ourselves, then we go from a relationship to a religious routine. But religious routine without repentance and reverence is not a relationship, it is a job. And I'm speaking to myself 
as much as you. Religious routine, think about it. Religious routine without repentance and reverence is not a relationship. It's a job. So why do so many things feel like obligation to us? Because jobs feel like obligation to us. That's why the Christian life and doing ministry and leading for Jesus, it feels like obligation because we are lacking repentance and reverence, but we got that religious routine down. As long as I got my religious routine down, I'm straight. I'm sure Lydia thought about that from time to time. This is so stupid, but I love it. Can I tell you something? It's so stupid. I promise you, you're going to laugh when you hear it. It's so stupid. But Going through the motions with your faith is like standing in the shower with the water off. <laughs> For real. Just because you're in the right place to get clean means nothing until you make contact with the water. <laughs> just because you're in the church, just because you're in the right place to get clean means nothing until you make contact with the Savior. <laughs> you see, if I stand in the shower with no water running, I might appear to others like I'm getting clean, but in reality, I'm not being clean. See, it's not about looking like we are getting clean. It's more about truly being cleansed. That can only happen when you make contact with soap and with water. The only way you are going to be clean of your sin, cleansed of your sin and forgiven of it is when you make contact with Jesus Christ. Paul would tell Lydia, what Christ begins, Christ will finish. Imagine what this means to the slave girl. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh, we're at the last, we're landing the plane here. Imagine what it means to the slave girl who literally had no authority. She had no power. She had nothing. She was being used to make a profit. And now because of Jesus Christ, because Paul shared the gospel to her, she has experienced freedom. Do you think in those low moments, she ever wondered if she would lose that freedom? Do you think she ever wondered if the devil would possess her again, if she would be lost again? I bet she did because she was a human. We don't know, but I bet she did because some of us do. And Paul's saying, no, the freedom that Christ has given you, Christ will finish that freedom. He will bring that freedom to completion, but you have to trust him. Imagine what this verse means to the slave girl. See, we read this and we put it on coffee cups. We put it on t-shirts. We tweet this. But imagine what this meant to the people in Philippi. Woo! It would have been different. They read the word different. They read Paul's letters different. And then I think about the jailer <laughs> who was suicidal at the end of his rope, about to give up, about to kill himself because his identity was so off. His identity was so far gone, he's about to kill himself. And Paul interjects, Paul lived out his faith. The jailer gets saved. I wonder though, in Philippi, I wonder if the jailer struggled with identity from time to time. You think he got saved and just had it all figured out from there and just got it? Or do you think he struggled from day to day, week to week, like we do? And Paul is looking at him and saying, Christ began a work in you with your identity. Why are you thinking he won't finish it? So whoever you are, wherever you are, if Christ has begun a work in you with your identity, why are you not trusting him to complete it? Paul would look at the jailer and say, you don't need the validation of people anymore. You don't need a career that's thriving and succeeding and glorifying your own name anymore. All you need is Jesus Christ because what Christ begins, Christ will finish. For some of you though, tonight, Christ is just beginning that work. That's what's amazing. 
We had a college student message us yesterday telling us, the View Memphis, I need to get saved. He realized he was at that point where he needed to make contact with Jesus Christ. And Dakota shared the gospel with him and he made contact. He encountered Jesus Christ and his life was changed forever. Is that you tonight? Because I got a feeling it might be. What if your sanctification process, what if your process to becoming more like Jesus started tonight? Because he died for you. He loves you. He feels for you. He knows your innermost being. He knows all your thoughts, all your passions, all your desires. He knows all of it and he loves you. He took your sin on the cross. He died for it. The worst sin that you still regret, that you still stay up at night about, he died for it. And what he asked for you to do is repent. You got to get to that conversion point. You got to get to that point where you're saying, I'm done with my sin. I'm willing to give it to God. I repent. I want no more. And then if you believe in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead after he was crucified and confess with your mouth that he is Lord like we talked about earlier, you'll be saved and you'll know him forever. Why are you waiting? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? Why are you accepting shame and guilt and darkness? when the light is right here. If that's you tonight, I want you to pray with me, but hear me. These words don't save you if you don't mean them. But if you are at that point tonight where you need to repent, if you pray something like this, you'll be saved if you mean it. Dear God, Thank you. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for knowing me. Thank you for loving me. I have broken your law. I have sinned. I have lied, cheated, been greedy, done things I know is wrong. God, I repent of these sins. God, I give you these sins. I don't want them anymore. I want to know you in all your glory. I want to give my life to you. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he rose from the dead. And today I confess him as my Lord. Save me, God. Save me, God. In Jesus' name, I pray.